0: Mr. Beacon podcast is sponsored by Wiliot, scaling IoT with battery-free Bluetooth.
1: So welcome to the podcast. Uh, this week, we are interviewing Misha uh, Benalil, who's the uh, co-founder and CEO of Novel. Uh, so Misha, thanks uh, very much for joining us on the podcast.
2: Well, thank you, Steve, for having me uh on your show.
1: Yeah, uh, well, I think uh, you've got a lot of really interesting things to talk about. And it's a, a potpourri of like, very interesting concepts and technologies from, of course, our home territory, which is Bluetooth, IoT, blockchain, and uh, networking concepts. And of course, you you are very um, experienced in the startup space. And in terms of Building networks with uh, Open Garden and FireChat, the, the peer-to-peer um, social network, but this is a, a different kind of network. Can you explain to us a little bit about, uh, about what Nodel does? Uh,
2: sure. So um, at Noddle we I mean the long-term vision is really to build a, a wireless network that basically has no hardware, no infrastructure, no antenna, no towers. And uh, the vision is really to to make this wireless network available everywhere. And today we do it using this fantastic uh, wireless interface, which is Bluetooth Low Energy. We believe it's a great standard. Uh, Bluetooth took many years to become stable. And finally, we have this Bluetooth Low Energy that's very uh, stable. uh, And that enables us to do uh, amazing things. And um, any actually manufacturer also. Because today I think Bluetooth Low Energy is shipped on more than 50%. Of all IOt devices out there
0: mm-hmm.
2: so huge coverage
0: and... And, uh, mm-hmm.
2: so the, the the way we, do, we we make this network available is uh, pretty unique. Uh, we leverage what I call the smartphone infrastructure, and so we put a piece of software, which is a small networking library on as many smartphones as we can through partners uh, or people who use our apps. And that way we create availability for this network. And any IoT device that's in proximity of one of these smartphones basically can uh, send back information to the internet very easily or connect to the internet through one of these smartphones. So using a smartphone like a gateway or a router or a hotspot for IoT if you want.
1: Mm -hmm. And these connections with IoT devices via this library that is in partners apps, presumably these are like uh, this is a monetization technique for people that are developing uh, free apps. They, they get some reward, some value back from you. We'll go into how that works later. But um, you know, what, typically, what is that library doing um, when it talks to these IoT devices? What are some of the practical applications?
2: So the, um, the library is doing um, two major things. Uh, one, it's uh, listening for any IoT device that would be in proximity from the phone. If the IoT device, which can be a sensor, uh, a tracker in the, if you take the vertical of asset tracking. uh, So basically this sensor or IoT device is broadcasting information. Information can be uh, an identity. Information can be uh, measurements from the sensor for temperature, for example. Then we capture that data, uh, and we, uh, the library will tag it with the location and the time stamp, and send it back to, to the cloud. And there, um, if we recognize that this information has been uh, purchased by the owner of the device or uh, the manufacturer itself, then we send back that information to the, to the manufacturer. So technically, you could consider it almost like a DNS for IoT devices, what we do. Um, and, uh, it can be just one way communication, which brings already a lot of utility, or it can be two way communications. In the case of one way communication, we are using the traditional Bluetooth standard. So there's no need for the manufacturer of the device to change anything to their device. If that device wants to connect now to the internet and exchange information with the internet, the device we, we, we need to have our protocol uh, installed on the IoT device.
1: Okay. And, and what, what is the protocol that it would talk? So presumably, the first piece, which is just kind of identity, uh, and maybe some status is you're just using a standard Bluetooth advertising packet, are you? Is that the, is that? That's the,
2: correct. Yeah. And that's correct. And the Bluetooth standard has, um, has actually very well, uh, um, there's a nomenclature for, for, for how you structure the data when you're in your advertisement. And, uh, we just follow the guidelines and what's public on the Bluetooth standard. So you can, it can do the, the data that's broadcasted can be measurements of, uh, uh it can be like just a, yeah, a measurement for a meter, for example, but it can also be temperature, uh, or any other information that sensors would, coll- would collect.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And this is very well structured and organized. And then we just capture that, that, that information, that advertisement and send it back to the manufacturer. So that way we can create, uh, also, uh, heat maps uh, that would display that information on a map. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, if it's temperature, you would be able to have a map where you can see all the different measurements in, in of temperature in, in a city or across a, a country. Uh, in the, the case of pollution sensors, for example, we would be able to 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 to, um, to display the, the quality of the air uh, in different places around the city or, or a whole country. And uh, it's pretty powerful, uh, and especially with the, the method we use, which is that uh, like kind of crowdsourcing this connectivity through people's smartphones, we can cover very large areas uh, very quickly. And um, since we started to deploy the network, we have almost uh, arrived to, uh, we were focused in the US first, and we almost have now like a nationwide coverage in the US with more than one million uh, daily active uh, smartphones connecting to IoT devices every day. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good start and uh, pretty encouraging. And we believe that uh, in 18 months from now, we can probably be global. Uh, and that would be amazing because it would be the first uh, truly global uh, IoT network or network dedicated to IoT. And what it means, it means uh, once we are global, um, with this kind of network, there is no rooming also. So for a manufacturer or someone who operates uh, sensors or IoT devices. Now you can have a, one one um, entity you can talk to uh, that will be able to connect or collect data from all your devices uh, across all borders globally. Um, and then we can do that at a very efficient cost also because we are fully software.
1: But it's, a, it's kind of a uh, uh, stochastic, uh, opportunistic, non-deterministic connection. You're kind of uh, hoping that the odds are that you have enough of your libraries in these apps, that the coverage will be will be there. Is are people? Do you think that's viable? Are people uh, willing to accept? You know, the alternative is you have some uh, narrowband IoT LTE radio in there, which is obviously more expensive, and the connection's more expensive. But you kind of know you're getting a connection. Is this? Um, is this approach kind of viable when uh, you, you don't necessarily know that you are going to get the data back?
2: So it's, it's a very good question and uh, many people uh, come to us when they start to know about what we do is that with that question, which is uh, um, very relevant. So first what we do and what we are selling is what we call delay tolerant network. So we can collect data for your own devices. From your devices, but we don't guarantee that this is going to be a real-time connection. And when you look at the space of IoT, you actually don't really need a real-time connection all all the time because, in the case of measurements, I mean, the sensor can wait before sending you uh, some data that or values that is measured. Whether it's temperature, uh, whether it's a a pollution sensor for measuring the quality of the air, there's no uh, there's no big um, like uh, hard deadline to basically receive that information. Uh, so when you look at the use case of delay tolerant, uh, actually it's it's already most of the use cases that uh, na- narrowband IoT wireless um, solutions, of, I mean competitive solutions, are trying to cover. Um, then you 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 are spot on when you say um, about the cost. I mean that will have the choice whether you have a cellular module that you're going to add to your device, which will give you a real time connectivity. But then you have other issues. You have issues of battery consumption, Bluetooth low energy is an amazing standard. It's an amazing uh, uh, radio wireless interface, which consumes very little energy. You can have a sensor run on a very small uh, lithium battery for years uh, with this technology. Uh, And you you cannot achieve that with any other uh, alternative, especially if you add a cellular module. Then, uh, when you build IoT devices and you want to um, you want to basically connect these devices to the internet, sometimes you're going to build a device that costs a few dollars, ten dollars, fifteen dollars, and uh, you cannot afford to have a cellular module attached to your device because it would it would take the cost so much high that it would make no sense basically to um, to build this device. And uh, so, what you are trying to achieve here is really to make connectivity as cheap as possible. So anything can be connected or reporting data to the internet in a very easy easy, easy manner.
1: Now, I, I think there's a lot of use cases where this approach is viable. It's something that we're very interested in uh, from the Willyot side as well as the Mr. Beacon um, market prognostication uh, perspective. So l- let's just finish off. Uh, I, I just want to... Uh, round out the, the understanding of the protocol. So you're sending advertising packets. Um you know what what about like an iBeacon? Could an iBeacon beacon be used uh, if a device is sending that? Would that be readable? Uh, it seems like that would have the advantage of waking up uh, the uh, the app that might be in the background. How do is an iBeacon a, a viable format?
2: So i Beacon can, can work and um in the case of the both-way connectivity, um, yeah, an IoT device could be uh, waking up, um, basically uh, one of our smartphones, participating into the network, and then shake hands automatically with the smartphone and connect to the internet.
1: So, what are the connection? So, are you establishing a connection uh, with certain devices that wanted? Is it does it uh, escalate or uh, migrate into a connection-oriented conversation?
2: if the if the device has the the protocol yes it can shake hands seamlessly and and then connect to the internet uh, i mean this can be very useful if you want to update a firmware for example because a device can uh can ping a, a smartphone and then shake uh, shake hands connect and check if there is an update for its firmware mm-hmm. um and so that that's one 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 thing we can do with this kind of network
1: and and what protocols do you support or do you plan to support in order to have that connection-orientated uh, conversation?
2: So for now, we only focus on Bluetooth, uh, but we look at other alternatives in the future. Uh, I mean, the Wi-Fi standard is also evolving pretty well, and it looks like that um, soon it's going to behave a little bit like Bluetooth Blue Energy in the next updates. Mm-hmm. So if that's where the industry is going towards, then that would be amazing because we would also be able to support Wi-Fi, which even if it consumes a bit more battery, uh, can enable you to move much more data. Uh, so it's, um, it's uh, yeah, we hope that Wi-Fi will go into that direction. And I think Bluetooth standard has done an amazing job. Uh, it's evolving pretty well. We are just at the beginning uh, of all the possibilities. Uh, The next evolution of Bluetooth uh, is also um, including mesh capabilities. Mm -hmm. And uh, what we do today, we don't even use mesh. I mean, we we just do a peer-to-peer, point-to-point connection from an IoT device to a a smartphone which is related data to the internet. Uh, But with mesh, uh, if most manufacturers adopt the Bluetooth mesh standard, that that means that the data that's moved to the internet can basically have hopped on more devices before to to connect to a smartphone. Um, and potentially maybe a smartphone is also connecting to another one that has access to Wi-Fi. so it's um it's pretty exciting i think the the evolution of the bluetooth standard is uh is really uh, powerful and will enable uh, so many use cases in the future uh, and, and, uh, and uh, i yeah mean, uh, yeah i mean and you are very well positioned uh, with real i o t also i think for and 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 you know that uh and uh I'm just dreaming of the day when, and I think it's gonna happen sooner than when we think, when almost every uh, small object or uh, items that has some value will be able to be, uh, just in the asset tracking, be tracked uh, with one of these small BLE uh, um, solution like the one you are working on. Uh, because that means uh, now you can do the job of DHL being an individual almost.
1: Well, uh, yeah, so I, I'm,
2: I'm, the efficiencies that is going to uh, to enable uh, in terms of the supply chain industry, logistics, and even for for everyone's on daily life, it's going to make life so much easier for a lot of things in her life. Um, obviously, it raises uh, also many challenges in terms of privacy and how you deal with all these identities uh, moving. But I think these are good challenges to solve, uh, uh, and uh, that's among the opportunities we have when we work in this industry and we are where we we want to make it, uh, like we want to create more data, more information that's usable and actionable, and at the same time, reduce reduce the exposure of, uh, of people, uh, while manipulating all these identities. Uh, but, but, but I think it's, uh, as long as we are all aware of that and build, uh, an infrastructure and technologies that, that can move and use that data. Being aware of the implication of uh, privacy, then we can we can move the things in the right direction. I'm I'm a big fan of what I call uh, zero knowledge analytics, and I think that's one of the solutions. Meaning, uh, so with, with some cryptography uh, cryptographic protocols, now you can almost like have an amount of data query that data um, display display a representation of that data, which is not tied to one single entity or identity, but have a large representation. And I think that's where it's useful to play with that data. And at the same time, enable someone to query that data with, uh, uh, without even knowing the single identity of each, each of the devices participating in the, in the representation of that data. And with cryptography, you can enable that real identity to be discovered only by the owner of the device, for example, or the manufacturer. So you, you can enable s- so many things. The, the main challenges are how do you scale this technology where uh, you can at the same time uh, use the data and protect basically the, the privacy of everyone at, at a very large scale. And uh, these are the challenges we are facing now. Uh, but I think blockchain is bringing some solutions, interesting solutions. And what I call also the democratization of cryptography will enable this to happen. So we live in very exciting times.
1: We we, we do. Let let's uh, get on to blockchain in just a second. But before we go there, at a at a more basic level, um, you are building this network and you're leveraging the fact that uh, we all have free apps on our phone. Uh, we didn't pay for them, and these companies need to make money somehow. And uh, in the past, they put up these obnoxious interstitial ads that kind of got in the way. And I guess. What you're doing is you're offering an alternative way for someone that's written a a solitaire app or a Sudoku app to uh, monetize their uh, their app. Is that a fair summary?
0: My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com tapiphone
1: I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me.
0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash achieve today.
2: Yeah, yeah, this is a fair summary. So what we do exactly is we incentivize the adoption of the library by rewarding The participants in the network which today are app developers mainly Uh, but tomorrow uh, they could be potentially also individuals and we 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 basically give a weight to each packet that they move through their device uh, which is based on several criteria and from there we reward them with points uh, that uh, are translated into a cryptocurrency called the nodal coin Uh, and that's how we reward the people participating in the network and um, i mean without technologies like uh, blockchain we wouldn't be able to to build this kind of uh, of incentive so it's a it's a it's a very good way to uh, actually spark a network because um, before we decided to go for that solution uh, we looked at other ways to spark such network and so we tried with our own app but today i mean it's not the, the time when I, w- I was making firechat for example where you could get a million installs in in a week uh, I mean, these days are, are are gone unless you have like huge marketing budget and uh, or an extraordinary useful app that uh, basically arrives on the market. Uh, so you have to, uh, to to spark the adoption of the network by partnering. That's what we do with other app developers that have that presence. And uh, if you go to the large players, they will all ask you for a huge amount of money to do that mm-hmm. upfront. So with this mechanism of incentive, uh, using uh, the Nodal coin and, and, and the blockchain, which register each of the, the transaction basically that are happening on network. So all the participants can uh, easily see what's happening and they can understand why they got rewarded this amount of coins, for example, uh, in a very transparent manner and even better is uh, by doing so you avoid all this complex accounting of what do you owe to who, how do you pay each person? All that is happening automatically. Thanks to the to the to this trustless system built on top of a blockchain technology.
1: But couldn't you simply pay people in fractions of a, a of a dollar, of a cent? Um, I mean, uh, it's uh, is it really necessary to include this blockchain technology? Because on one hand, I can see there may be some advantages, but you're suddenly dealing in a currency that. People are not very familiar with you must have done the kind of the pros and cons of uh, of dealing creating your own currency versus one that is pretty well understood and accepted uh, what were the the pros and cons when you looked at that
2: so it's a very good question, and um, we thought a lot about this but for for people in the ecosystem, if you are a manufacturer and you want to benefit from the network i mean you, you can pay in fiat currency, uh, but what will happen technically is this money would be sent to an exchange that will credit your account with uh with Nodal coins and then from there it's kind of a prepaid account and as you use the network your your credit goes down so there's no change mainly for people in the industry and uh, um and you're right i mean i mean cryptocurrencies are are still pretty new uh, and especially in the b2b space you don't want to um to slow down the adoption of the network because people would have to change their or understand how how it works. Um, so you, you don't want to disrupt too much the business, the usual business processes. And that's why we partner with other uh, platforms that basically are which is the job to uh, to basically uh, translate this crypto this fiat currency into into a cryptocurrency.
1: Okay. So at the end of the day, if you want to, so y- y- you can pay for this connectivity. If you're a device manufacturer, you can pay with. With dollars, um, and there'll be a conversion into uh, uh, in, into your currency. Um, and if you're a, an app developer, then you can turn it into dollars as well. So this is kind of a intermediate uh, step that you're introducing. Yes,
2: but there are, there are a lot of advantages in having um, also a currency to reinforce the ecosystem, uh, and um, and and the fact that we use blockchain technology, you have very fast settlements, very fast exchange of, uh, of, uh, of value, uh, across the globe. And, and like I mentioned earlier, you, you also simplifies a lot of the aspect of the traditional accounting that are so heavy when you run an, an organization that's international and has presence in so many countries. Mm-hmm. So just, even if now we are focused in the U S we already have net, a spark of a network in more than 50 countries. Mm-hmm. Imagine if we had to deal. With, I mean, each of these countries' local currency uh, and uh, sp- specific method of accounting. I mean, it would be uh, such such a work. We would have to, at some point, you have a whole department of the company but just doing that job. And uh, and because of the the blockchain and uh, basically this 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 ledger, uh, you, you can enable this settlement to happen automatically uh, across parties that don't necessarily. Um, trust each other. Now you create a layer where they can trust each other and they can audit what's happening. So they know what they got rewarded. They know what they paid for, what's going. Uh, So it's a, it's very transparent way to, to, to do business too, which brings a lot of advantages.
1: Do, Do I have to worry about fluctuating values in your currency? Um, that's, that sort of introduces another level of volatility, doesn't it? Um,
2: so yeah, it's a good, it, it's a good point, and I think we will see how 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 the currency behaves once it is issued. For now, we uh, we are the, at, the, at the stage where we are dealing with points, uh, and uh, it's to prove the system which is working. Okay. Uh, we will certainly have to deal with this uh, this uh, level of uh, I mean of fluctuation but um the way we're going to price the service is uh is also independent from the from the fluctuation of the currency because you you want to ha- have a network that remains very competitive mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so that's why we have our, kind of our own internal currency on points which is a uh, accounting of all the packets that are moved and then you have the the cryptocurrency which is the the, the economical i mean the, the value that represents basically uh the access uh, to, to to the network, so it's a uh, we're, we're able to to play with that.
1: I know entrepreneurs hate to talk about pricing; it's a very sensitive thing, and it tends to be something that uh, evolves uh, over time as you kind of mm-hmm. understand more about uh, uh, the world that you're creating. But can you give us a rough sense of if I'm a, um, if I'm a device uh, manufacturer? Uh, and let's say i'm putting let's say i'm putting bluetooth tags uh, on uh, point of sale materials you know those end caps and those signs that uh, uh, are on shelves uh, and i want to um, i'm a brand i'm uh, i'm a, I'm a I, I make some kind of alcoholic spirits and i 'm paying these retailers to put these uh, displays out there um, in the supermarkets and I want to know. Did the display? You know, I paid for the displays to go out there. Did you, the retailer, put them out? And so, I want this network of uh, of apps to look for these beacons in all of the Safeways and Albertsons and so forth to to know if they actually got deployed. What you know? What are the economics of that? Uh, roughly, not precisely, but roughly, how much is it going to cost me for for that sort of thing? And on the flip side, because um, obviously. You know the right answer is it's going to be incredibly cheap, but the flip side is the app developer wants to get money for that so roughly what uh, what should the app developer expect to get paid, and what should the uh, the brand expect to pay you for the uh, for that sort of use case Is that a reasonable use case for your network to be used for? Maybe I'm not picking a good example,
2: but uh, so we actually what we are, the use case you mentioned is uh, currently under test. Um, and before I dive into that, uh, I mean, it's a very good question and, and I will be, uh, I mean, really open about it. Uh, we, we know we will have to price things differently, according to the verticals. And, uh, we have some ideas of what a market can uh, support in terms of pricing. Uh, we also know that we are creating new opportunities and, uh, because before people wouldn't be able to afford connectivity and now because of this technology, they will be able to connect their devices. So um, I, I think it's going to take us a lot of time to figure out the right pricing. Uh, but to give you an, an example, so in the in the use case you mentioned, we actually work with a, a Fortune 500 company called uh, Constellation Brands. They are a large distributor of alcohol, uh, distribute brands like Corona in the US, uh, and so they have these displays uh, that uh, cost them. I mean, a lot of money. I think the their budget for uh, displays to support the brands in retail store is is, is more than 10 million dollars of actually uh, of displays uh, so they they want to know uh, how useful it, it is for uh, for their brand and for for optimizing the sales basically if uh, these displays that i send all over the united states are being used by the distributors and retailers to support the brands and so they um, they actually decided to attach a small uh, tracker to these displays, and uh, and we provide the network. Uh, so that's a very uh, kind of new use case, uh, still in the asset tracking space, but which basically shows uh, all the things that you can enable when you you can have a chip tracker and attach it to uh, to an item. And um, so in that specific use case, I think you have to be uh, looking at the cost of the of the trackers
1: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, and connectivity. Um, I mean, cannot be more expensive than uh, what it costs to have a tracker, uh, and that's why, in their use case, they looked at other alternatives like uh, cellular connectivity, uh, and and they quickly realized that, I mean, it would cost so much money to do it right. Uh, so they needed to to find a new solution which also is adapted to to their business model, and uh, so Bluetooth trackers is is, is a fantastic solution, um, and um, so just to give you an idea of pricing, I think if you, if you were to, uh, to use strikers that cost between five to $10 to add to an item, and you know, this is going to live for at least a year on a, on a very small uh, lithium battery. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I mean the cost of, of connectivity cannot be, uh, more than I would say like 10 cents a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, uh, that's just to give you a, uh, that's just to give you an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and in whole case, the cost of connectivity, I mean, is, uh, I think it will take also a time to establish what, what it really costs to, uh, to move a, a packet from a beacon or an advertisement. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, mm-hmm. and if we, we deal with some people who use that solution for replacing a cellular module, and I can give you the example of uh, scooters, I mean, or bike sharing. Um, if you, if you have a a bike sharing business and you, you put a cellular module on your lock to locate your bikes and to lock and unlock the bikes, well, for according to our calculations for 1 million bikes that you operate, you're going to have an operating expense of probably close to $50 million a year. Mm -hmm. Uh, now in that specific use case, it would be, uh, it wouldn't be right to, to, to basically price uh, the same way uh, this solution, the same way we would price a, a small wheel IOT uh, sticker mm-hmm. uh, to be located. So uh, so we know that uh, if uh, we replace the, the cellular module with a Bluetooth chipset uh, and uh, and maybe some also uh, physical element on the bike to, which would be like a, a hardware wallet mm-hmm. to basically authenticate and enable the transactions to happen Uh, I mean we could bring down the cost the overall cost to uh, probably uh, a few million dollars a year Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's a it's a huge uh, saving for companies that are operating these bikes
1: but the challenge you have though is every time you make the cost of connectivity cheaper you have less money to reward the uh, you know the the writer of the solitaire uh, app or the Sudoku app.
2: Well, right? I'm not that. Uh, I I I I mean, in, in this specific use case, they were not making money out of connectivity at all before. So no. it's uh, it's all up. So we are creating a new alternative source of revenues for app developers who participate into the network uh, without impacting uh, the user experience. I mean, it's not like when you have an ad that comes and shows up on your screen. You don't need that. Uh, and without Im- impacting also privacy of users, because we are not like some of the SDKs that's going to resell your, your personal data to, uh, to another company or advertisement, com- advertising company. Uh, that's not our business. So we, we actually are only interested in the, the data that's around the phone that is broadcasted by IoT devices. Mm-hmm. We're not interested in the person carrying that phone. So uh, we we create basically a a way for app developers to make money without selling user data, without impacting user experience. Um, And it only takes three minutes for an app developer to add her library into their app. And then after they have two ways, they can have also an opt-in. So we have a use case with one of the partners where in exchange for uh, accepting to participate in what we call the the citizen network, Mm -hmm. uh, then uh, the user can uh, use the app without ads for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so, so it's, it's, it's really a new way to, uh, to monetize for app developers. Um, and, uh, and so far, I think we, uh, it's only the beginning. We struggled a lot to how to pitch it to app developers first, but we are getting a bit better at that. Uh, and we have almost like 15 mobile applications now that are, um, using the library and, uh, but the goal is to be on thousands. Because you want to create a very long tail of app developers. You don't want to be dependent on just one or two big players.
1: And what kind of app developers do you find are opting for, for using this?
2: So it ranges from uh, people in the industry who already use Bluetooth on their phone, on their app. So manufacturers themselves uh, who have an app to, uh, to control uh, the device or to, uh, to, uh, to communicate with the device. Uh, so manufacturers of uh, hardware. Um, people in the social networking space with apps like messaging mm-hmm. to uh, ranges from, from, yes, from messaging to dating apps um, and uh, and uh, we are looking also at the vertical of games now so that's, that's basically the kind of mobile applications that are uh, embedding the, the library.
1: And we've talked about a couple of examples where this would be useful can you just give me one or two others of where uh, you know what are the applications for monitoring we we did the bikes we did the uh, point of sale materials anything else that you see as being a a key uh, fit with what you 're doing
2: well any um, any sensor data for smart cities like pollution trackers for example mm-hmm. is a great application and a great use of this kind of network but you can have citizens citizens of a city collecting data for improving uh, i mean information to to the all the citizens in the city. So the the use case with smart cities are are are, are numerous, um, and uh, and from there you can go down to also metering. I mean, and metering can be. Uh, you could imagine in the future that a car also would park and pay the meter automatically using this new cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. uh, and that the car could potentially also pay for getting more energy. Uh, automatically. Uh, the, the, and so that's, that's the kind of use cases we see in the future. It's going to take time, obviously. Uh, but before we get there, I think the use cases for, for in the asset tracking space are, I mean, it's it's such a huge business. And we are just discovering and scratching the surface there. Yeah, um,
1: very good. Well, this I, I could talk to you for hours, but this has been wonderful. Uh, Misha, um, thanks so much. And uh, we're really going to uh, look closely at what you guys are doing with Noddle and uh, hopefully we'll be working together in the future.
2: Well, thank you so much, Steve. We're also looking f- forward to working with you and uh, and growing the space and the number of use cases. But uh, I think we're, we're, gonna, we're up for some great times together. I agree. Thank you. Very good. All the best. I have a very ec- eclectic taste in music. I even produced uh Or participated in some songs, but I have one actually you can find on iTunes. All right, which was a bet I made with friends, (laughs) Uh, and when we were all having a big party in Saint Tropez, and actually I made a song out of it, and you 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 can buy it or listen to it on iTunes. You can. What's it called? It's called Bubbles. It's about champagne. (laughs)
1: Wonderful. It's Bubbles, (laughs) and what would the you know who's it attributed to? Did you have a name for the group or?
2: No, if you just type my first name and last name and bubbles, you will find it out. And it's not a fantastic song, but I think I I, I had a lot of fun to to make it. And uh, and um, and then it was a bet with my very close friend from South of France, and uh, I made it, so I, I won my bet. That was the goal. Beautiful.
1: Well, that's 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 the first. Uh, so uh, you know the 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 uh, the construct is the three songs you take on a. On a trip to mars obviously that's one of them what what, what are the other two that well
2: you... i don't know if i would take my song even if it's a very funny one <laughs> uh, uh <laughs> if the lyrics are a bit crazy uh but i would I, I would certainly take uh a few other titles i'm, I'm thinking about uh and i don't know i don't know if three songs is enough actually i would it probably take enough. more than
1: that's we make it very tough but
2: uh among them i would pick uh i'm really a big fan i used to play piano i'm a big fan of Piano, especially great piano players, and I love Keith Jarrett. Keith and Jarrett. I think my favorite is the the Köln Concert. I think it's from
1: 1975.
2: Oh. Okay. Uh, and uh, it's just an amazing piece of music. Uh, so I, I love that one. And how uh, would
1: you describe his style? I like what, what's, the, does. what's the what's uh, the genre?
2: And uh, another big classic I love is, uh, and I would probably take is. Um, Miles Davis uh, dubop song, the dubop song. That's a really an amazing piece.
1: Brilliant.
2: And then in more classic ones, I mean, I love you too. So I would, I would probably take one title from you too. Probably would be. uh, I think it's. I'm still looking for. We are still looking for. Another one.
1: Uh, Have you seen them live?
2: I've seen them live in South of France once, yeah. And what was the concert like? Uh, I mean, it was great. I mean, obviously, all these uh, great songs from YouTube. So (laughs) it was a great one. one. Uh, And then uh, I can cite a few other ones. Like, I mean, I love Coldplay. Uh, I love Sting. Yeah, so.
1: Me too. We have a lot. Yeah, I I share a lot of your tastes. And actually, if you're a Coldplay fan on um i think it's then there's
2: one french man i really love too i mean two french men i love but uh daft punk obviously and uh and uh, and phoenix phoenix is so good all right i was lucky to travel with them once from on the flight from paris to san francisco and then they invited me to the concert in santa clara and
1: uh <laughs> amazing very cool well yeah, check I, out I the music. cold
2: check out the Coldplay
1: uh, documentary there's uh, It goes with their latest album, but it's recorded right from the earliest stages of when they first started playing together before Coldplay was called Coldplay. Uh, and, And it's on, I think it's Hulu, it's either Hulu or Prime, Amazon Prime. So uh, that's I'll great. I'll check it
2: out. Maybe on Netflix or also. I, I, so what, what's the name of the documentary? Probably I just I just search for Coldplay. I will find it. But.
1: Yeah, you'll find the the name of the documentary. I think it's named after their last album, but it but actually spans every album. And it's a very personal. It's a lot of personal photography of them. So uh, if you're into Coldplay, you'll like it. You know. Um, so thank you for that. <laughs>